Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is uh, Carl Drake, and I'm a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1858, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people, just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. We have a few announcements. UU Wausau families of all ages are invited to meet Jessica in the reception area after today's service for a cooperative Easter egg hunt. Once all the eggs are found, everyone will get a few treats for their Easter baskets. UU Wausau is hosting a Red Cross blood drive this Tuesday, April 11. Sign up and donate blood at redcrossblood.org. And mark your calendars Join your Friday nighter hosts, Greg and Leanne Vett, and Tim and Karen Peterson for a fun-filled intergenerational evening at our own church. The fun begins this Friday, April 14th, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Please bring a favorite game or games, if you wish, a favorite snack to share, and your own beverages. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Well, we worship on ancestral ground and with the ancestors throughout the ages who lived and flourished in this land, we welcome all to come into this circle of love and justice, come into this community of mercy, holiness, and health. Come, may you know peace and joy. Come, let us worship, let us discover and shape that which is of worth let us worship together. I invite, I invite you to open your hymnals to the opening hymn, number 203, All Creatures of the Earth and Sky. And as you are able, if you would rise in body or spirit.
if you would remain where you are and join me in the affirmation printed in your order of service. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. And join me in singing our doxology. seated for our story for all ages, our first of three stories. This morning our first story is The Easter Egg by Jan Brett. Cheer up, cheer up, spring is here. Time to start on my first ever Easter egg, Hoppy said. Each year the bunny who decorated the winning egg got to help the Easter rabbit hide the eggs on Easter morning. Hoppy had been dreaming about being that bunny all year long. Now it was time to get started. Everywhere Hoppy looked, rabbits were working on dazzling eggs. I need an amazing idea, he thought. Hoppy spotted Flora Bunny planting spring wildflowers in her eggs. The Easter rabbit will love those colorful flowers, he thought, and he started picking flowers for his egg. Here's a basket for your flowers, Hoppy, Flora said. Chop, chop, scrape, scrape. Hoppy spied Buster Birch carving a magnificent wooden egg. I wish I had some wood for my egg, he wished out loud. Here you go, Hoppy, Buster Birch said, and he put a smooth round piece of wood in Hoppy's basket. Thank you, Buster, Hoppy said. Hoppy was hopping along when the smell of sweetness led him out of the woods and straight into the chocolate egg that Aunt Sassafras was decorating with creamy frosting squiggles and bows. Hello, Hoppy, she said as she put some chocolate squares in his basket. Yippity hop, Hoppy exclaimed. I'll make the Easter rabbit a chocolate egg so sweet it'll make his whiskers tingle. Then Hoppy saw Granny Irene decorating one of her fabulous story eggs. First, she traced a design on the egg with a special tool. Then she dipped the eggs in pots of yellow and green and orange and red dye, adding to the design each time. Hoppy couldn't believe his eyes. I'll never make an egg that beautiful, he told Granny Irene. She smiled. Try, she said, giving him one of her special tools. Hoppy was hopping by Hans van der Rabbit's garden when he spotted an extraordinary egg. Hans was painting a portrait of the Easter rabbit so real that he looked alive. Fantastic, Hoppy exclaimed. Thank you, Hoppy, Hans said. Why don't you make a painting on your egg? He gave Hoppy pots of paint and a fine brush. As Hoppy bounced along, a long, Loud boing nearly knocked him off of his feet. It was a whirling, twirling mechanical egg. 
Whoa, Hoppy said. That's an unusual egg. Would you like to make one, Roberto said. Hoppy tried hard, but the harder he tried, the more parts and pieces piled up around him. I have a feeling we might have some uh, Hoppies in the place. Thank you, Roberto, he sighed, but I think I'd better make an egg that's right for me. Hoppy hopped back into the woods and lay down under a tree to think. Making a beautiful egg is harder than I imagined, he thought. I guess I don't have to win. I just want to make an egg that I'm proud of. Suddenly, the woods rang with the squawking of birds sounding an alarm. Mother Robin swooped down, calling wildly as if she didn't know where to go. An egg had tumbled out of Mother Robin's nest. Inside the perfect blue egg was a baby robin that needed its mother to keep it warm until it hatched. Hoppy knew what he had to do. He sat down carefully and covered the blue egg with his soft, warm fur. I'll take care of you the best I can, he whispered. Relieved, Mother Robin chirped and settled down on her other two eggs. Hoppy never left the robin's egg. If it was sunny and warm, he carefully turned the egg in its nest of moss. And if it was rainy and cold, he kept the egg covered and dry. At night, wild animals passed by, and Hoppy crouched, crouched down and stayed hidden in the ferns. Often he heard strange noises coming from above, but Hoppy didn't run away. Every day, the rabbits worked on their eggs. Tadpoles turned into frogs, buds swelled into leaves, and Easter came closer and closer. And finally, it was time for the rabbits to take their eggs to the glen. They had forgotten all about Hoppy, who was quietly sitting on the blue egg under the tall tree in the woods. Early the next morning, the rabbits waited for the Easter rabbit, and suddenly a beautiful wagon rolled toward them out of the mist and stopped. And the Easter bunny stepped down from the wagon and admired the decorated eggs one by one. You have brought me the most beautiful eggs in the world, but a very special one is not here, he told them. The rabbits were puzzled. Whose egg could it be? Fill my wagon with your wonderful eggs, he said, and when I return, I will show it to you. And he disappeared into the woods. He came back with Hoppy, looking scruffy and beraggled. Hoppy has an amazing egg to be proud of, the Easter rabbit told them. He kept Mother Robin's egg warm and safe until her baby bird hatched and she could take care of it. The Easter rabbit placed the empty blue shell in the place of honor atop of the wagon, and they were ready to go. The rabbits cheered for the egg that had surprised them all. It's our best Easter ever, Hoppy, they shouted. And the brave little bunny and the Easter rabbit rode off together to hide eggs for children to find them Easter morning. And that is our first story for today. The offering, the offering is a sacrament of the of free church. It is supported by the voluntary generosity of all who join with us. The offering will now be given and received in grateful appreciation of our shared hopes and values. The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, We've placed an offering basket at the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift, hopefully recurring, 
with your credit or debit card. Thanks so much for your support. Deborah Gordon Cooper writes, this morning, for the first time in a long darkness, I heard the water sing, taking the ice apart with her quick fingers, like a woman unraveling a shawl. And something in the earth, under the snow, under my feet, awoke and sang along. And something in my bones, under my skin, under my coat, was humming, too, as if it almost knew the melody. For far too long, I have been walking in my sleep, wearing these ankle weights, and now the trees are trembling in this light, and soon the birds with tiny magnets in their wings will be pulled back to us. Please join me in a time of silence of prayer, of meditation, of quiet.
Please open your hymnals to hymn Please open your hymnals to hymn number 266. Remain where you are. Number 266, now the green blade riseth. Our second story, I'm going to read Rabbitiness by Joe Epson. It's about a special bunny. Rabbit liked doing rabbity things. Rabbit liked hopping. Rabbit liked jumping. Rabbit liked twirling his whiskers. Rabbit liked washing his ears. Rabbit liked to burrow. And rabbit liked sleeping. Rabbit also liked doing unrabbity things. He liked painting and making music. One day, oh, sorry, not yet. This made Rabbit very happy. It made him so happy, all the other rabbits caught his happiness and he filled the woods with color and music. One day, though, Rabbit disappeared. The other rabbits were very sad that they couldn't find him anymore. The woods were quiet and gray, and all that Rabbit had left was a deep, dark hole. But down in the deep, dark hole, Rabbit had left them some gifts. There were lots of things to make color and music. In time, all the other rabbits discovered they liked doing unrabbity things, too. This made them think of Rabbit, which made them happy. In fact, this made them so happy, they filled the woods with color and music once again. And that was our second story for today.
By what are you saved? By what are you saved and how? Uh, saved like a bit of string tucked away in a drawer? Saved like a child rushed from a burning building already singed and coughing smoke? Or are you salvaged uh, like a car part, uh, the one good door when the rest is wrecked? Do you believe me when I say you are neither salvaged nor saved, but salved, salved anointed by gentle hands where you are most tender? Haven't you seen the way snow curls down like a fresh sheet, how it covers everything, makes everything beautiful without exception?
Well, as you see, the uh, title for my reflection today is this Resurrection Madness. It's thanks to a, a poem by the Catholic poet Ted Loder. I praise you for this resurrection madness um, in his book, Gorillas of Grace. And then those of you who are parents and grandparents will recognize a refrain from one of Judith Viorst's books. And so this is the Easter story. This is my take on the Easter story. It had been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad few days for Jesus. <laughs> now, it had started out not so very bad. Jesus had traveled to Jerusalem and entered the city on a donkey or, or a colt, de depending on which story you read. You know, if you read all of the Bible, they're slightly different stories. Some said that riding a donkey fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy, the, the arrival of the Messiah. Some said riding on a colt, a, a horse, acclaimed Jesus as a leader, a king. Well, others said riding on a humble ass showed Jesus' solidarity with the, the fishermen and the carpenters, with the campesinos, the, the humble farmers that he hung out with. A humble transport for a humble man who worked for humble folks. Well, at any rate, the religious authorities heard folks calling him Messiah, the promised one, savior, he who would lead the people. The authorities labeled Jesus heretic a threat to the priests and to the temple. Now, Pilate, the head of government in that area, heard Jesus called a king. Now, Pilate labeled Jesus a subversive, a threat to the Roman Empire. It was said the, it was the start of a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad couple of days. But then the celebration of the Seder. Some of you celebrated the Seder recently. The Jewish Passover proved a calm spot in the week. Bread, the staff of life, unleavened bread, the bounty of the earth, symbol of growing life, bread was shared, and, and wine, fruit of the vine, filling veins with warmth, a, a feeling of companionship and of goodwill. Wine was shared bitter herbs to remember the bonds of slavery, sharp foods and, and sweet foods to remember the vicissitudes and the victories on the journey. Slavery to freedom, sorrow to happiness, mourning to celebration, darkness to light. That was in a Passover greeting card. Very apropos. The Seder a feast of freedom and the potential for bounteous life. Well, then, then the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day resumed. In a garden called Gethsemane, Jesus asks his friends to stay awake with him while he prays, while he meditates on his future. Well, his friends fall asleep. Then one of his friends points out Jesus to the Roman guards. He's a threat to the state. He's revolutionary, order and stability upthrown, definitely an undesirable. Now, some call this the ultimate betrayal, a traitor, a, a Judas, you know, a Benedict Arnold, just labeled. Now, others say the kiss was needed, a necessary act for the story to unfold as it must. Judith as a player of a role. Judith, Judas as God's patsy. Somebody had to take the blame. Whichever it was, 
Kiss and tell is never a good spot to be in, whether you are the kisser or the kissy. The day just got worse. Another friend denies he ever knew Jesus, denies this three times. So the Roman guards take Jesus to Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the chief priest of the temple, It's the middle of the night, an emergency session is called, and charges are made. Charges, the charges. Jesus cavorts with sinners and prostitutes. He has no visible means of support. He is unmarried at the age of 33. Can you imagine? And he hangs around with semi-employed fishermen, a tax collector, an assortment of bums, and women followers, too. Uh, uh, he is a menace to order and stability and the status quo. There's no doubt about it. It is said he's called king, which to a Jew means the Messiah, the, the promised deliverer of the Jewish people. But he is such a pathetic excuse for a Messiah. Now, now a real Messiah would, would be glitzy, ritzy, star quality. You know, you could tell him from a mile off. Not a hick from the boonies who wants to change the world, who asks folks to look beyond class, beyond gender, beyond tribal identity, who says the meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, these are ideas too odd, too scary to contemplate. They're poppycock, rubbish, crazy talk. And so the religious assembly says, he is guilty and he must die. This is a really, really bad day. So, as if a bunch of very conscientious, dutiful priests weren't bad enough, Jesus is taken before Pilate. He's the governor in the area. And we all know, we all know how fearsome, protective, and sometimes close-minded a governor can be. Not your present governor, but we've had ours too in Minnesota. (laughs) And we have them around the country. So Jesus is taken before Pilate. Pilate, he knows which side his bread is buttered on. Pilate, he calls together the priests, the leaders, and the people. He confabs with Herod, the other secular authority in the area. And Pilate suggests that Jesus be flogged and released. But when you don't trust any kind of change, when you're scared and angry, when times are tough and you're filled with fear, someone's got to be blamed. Someone's got to pay. Today that fear might manifest in bullying, sexual humiliation, torture, a bombing, a mass shooting. For Jesus, it's a whipping a scrap of purple cloth and a crown of thorns to signify his royalty, a lot of verbal abuse. Making fun of his idea of kingdom, a kingdom of love and justice, (laughs) as if that could get anyone anywhere in the courts of wealth and power. And Pilate washes his hands of the whole affair. Let someone else, let someone else, anyone else, decide Jesus' ultimate fate. Someone else should be responsible. Today, a beating, a stoning, a firing squad, a hanging, lethal injection, electrocution for Jesus, crucifixion. (sighs) 
Many folks followed the procession to the killing field, especially a group of women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and Jesus, the nameless mother of the sons of Zebedee. Jesus had women followers. In his daily life, Jesus noticed women. He talked with them. He respected them. He welcomed them as disciples into his kingdom of love and justice on earth. He had women followers. It was absolutely outrageous for the time. In some denominations, it's still outrageous to have a woman up in the pulpit. And Jesus says to them now, women of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Weep for the kingdoms ruled without love, the kingdoms not ruled by justice. Weep for the sorry place of women and children, the weak and the powerless in this country, in other lands, now and for decades and centuries and millennia to come. Jesus says, weep for yourselves and for your children. So most of us know the rest of the story. Jesus dies on the cross asking for forgiveness for his tormentors, his torturers, his executioners. And, and after it's over, this execution of a good and just man, Joseph, a, a member of the Jewish priesthood, the Sanhedrin, asks for Jesus' body. So Joseph, this Jewish priest essentially, and Nicodemus, a law professor, wrap Jesus' body in a linen shroud and carry him to the garden where he will be interred. Those women disciples buy and prepare spices and ointments to anoint the body. The next day is Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, a day of rest. So there you have that, Thursday and Friday and Saturday, with which all your Christian churches have been celebrating these last three days. And then we come to Easter. It is written in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and James and Salome bring the spices so that they might go and anoint him. Jesus has been placed in a tomb, a stone covering the opening, and very early on this first day of the week, when the sun has risen, these women go to the tomb saying, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? And they look up and see that the stone has already been rolled back. And on the right they see a young man. And they are alarmed, but the man says to them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He has gone or he has risen. So they leave the tomb quickly Terror and amazement and great joy seizes them. And from a, a Unitarian Universalist poet, also Lynn Unger, who writes, What I want to know is simply this. Who rolled away the stone? Did Jesus, reviving from the touch of Judas' kiss, turn miracle to muscle on his own? Or did the Savior of the Savior move the rock to let the life enter from outside, resurrection as a sort of picking of the lock that separates the bridegroom from his waiting bride? Well, she writes, perhaps the stone itself 
gets bored with waiting for a happy ending to the story and rolled itself away to set the body it had stored upon the royal road to new life and eternal glory. And she concludes, you might say it does not matter, but when you are waiting in the dark, a person wants to know if life is company or caller, the friend you trust to seek you out or the waiting spark within. And and this is how Jesus, the memory of his life and teachings, this is how I believe Jesus lives on, is saved in wonderment, amazement, and great joy, salved, anointed by gentle hands where he is most tender, a body crucified, a life's work saved, a mystifying turn in the story. Jesus is dead, but Jesus, his words, his works live on. And the message of today, whether or not on this Easter day you have ever called yourself a Christian or call yourself a Christian now, the message of today is this. Love, love is as strong as death. Love never dies. The arc of the moral universe still slowly, ever so slowly, bends towards justice. The life of love and justice lives on, is alive in the universe, in many guises, under many names, embodied in the minds, the hearts, and the hands of many faiths in many lands. After death, after betrayal, after the flaying, the beating, the battering by the world. Do you believe me when I say you are neither salvaged nor saved, but salved, salved, anointed by gentle hands where you are most tender? When our hearts are wintry, grieving, or in pain, love's touch calls the dead and bare fields of our hearts back to life again. When we feel dead and buried, hopeless in the dark, when we are waiting, waiting in the deep, endless dark of these Wisconsin, these Minnesota winters, finally, finally, one day the stone rolls back and light leaks into the darkness. When we are waiting in the dark, life comes as company or caller, whether the friend we trust to seek us out or the waiting spark of life within us, something within us, something, someone outside of us moves us, penetrates. We may say for far too long we have been walking in our sleep, wearing these ankle weights, but now, now the trees are trembling in this light and the birds with tiny magnets in their wings are pulled back to us. Now today in churches across this city, across this state, across this country, some say Jesus is dead, Jesus is risen, but I say, I say, when we have experienced that terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day or or week or month or year, when we have felt dead, dead inside, love's touch, calls us back to life again. So 
whether we plant the seed or, or someone else, another, plants the seed for us, whether we save this earthly garden or the garden saves us. The lock of our stone-cold heart is picked, the door of our tomb rolls away, and we are once again set upon the royal road to new life. And that's my Easter story. That, I think, is the Easter story, for me, that's worth saving. So may it be so. May we make it so. Blessed be and amen. Hello. Okay. Um, so I'm going to read the last story for today. It's called All of Us by Karen Berger. When your heart is heavy and your step unsure, when the winds are wild and the path unclear, don't fear the night so dark and vast or the hazy future, or the stormy past. Know that I am here as steady as a stone. We are stronger together than we are alone. Hope and light will always prevail. For love wins. Love wins. Love will never fail. The end. <laughs> well, as my brother John said, this story started slow and then it fizzled after that. Um, it's a hard story to hear, but this hymn should wake you up. I invite you to open your hymnals to our closing hymn, number 61, Lo, the earth awakes again, and rise in body or spirit as you are able.
So carry with you the love that will hold you, the vision that will guide you, the relationships to all beings and the world that will ground you. Go in peace, go in peace and gentle agitation to stir this world to the side of love. Please be seated for our postlude. 